first, we start with the death of this young police officer, Shaylin Yang. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Doug Spencer, retired police officer of the Vancouver Police Department, 30 years with the VPD. He now works with Odd Squad Productions, helping to keep kids out of gangs. Doug, thanks a lot for coming on today. You're welcome, Mike. First of all, Doug, I know the entire law enforcement community in British Columbia grieving over this death. What What is going through your mind when you hear something like this? Is it, can, is it possible for you to put into words like as what you someone like yourself feels as a former police officer when you hear this news? Yeah, it's it's like losing your little sister for me. Um, yeah, it's pretty emotional. Sorry to hear that. I know the grieving. I know the grieving process is going on. Doug, let's talk a little bit about what we what we know about the case so far. We know she was responding to a call about um, a man in a tent in that park in in Burnaby. What what can you say about the the threat that police officers face right now in, in the face of the the, the multi pronged crisis that we're facing here when it's come to drug addiction, homelessness, mental illness, untreated mental illness on the street. How is that posing a danger for police officers and also the members of the members of the public generally? Yeah, um, you know, the, these poor people that are living in tents and stuff, they're they're struggling through life. And, uh, you know, a lot of them from their drug addiction have uh, serious mental men, they're mentally ill and suffering. Some are just, you know, born with mental illness. There's a variety of reasons they end up in that situation. But, you know, some of them are suffering so bad and uh, their addiction is so horrific that um, they can be uh, very unpredictable. And, you know, I've I've actually done the same duty of, you know, checking under the SkyTrain on tent people and situations and stuff. And it's... A really dangerous situation you're walking into their environment and uh you have to have backup right because there can be four or five people sitting down in the bush there by the tent and you only see one right it's just so unpredictable and and the best police work is done in a partnership it's the safest um you know, I may see something that my partner doesn't and vice yeah. versa. You know, it, it's just a safer situation to have two policemen. But, you know, because of economics years ago, they said, oh, it's fine to work in a one-man car. You know, I came out of the academy, graduated, and I was working one man in the east end of Vancouver. And I got in some situations that were pretty hair-raising, right, without a partner. So... This is one of the key elements of this case that will, I'm sure, will be reviewed in the aftermath of of this incident. That it would appear that Constable Yang was by herself when she was responding to this. She, she did. She was with an official from the city of Burnaby, checking on the, this man in this tent, but she did not appear to have a partner with her or any sort of backup officer. You feel you feel there should always be two officers together. Yeah, I do. It's just uh, a completely safer situation. And, uh, you know, I've worked with the city employees and stuff doing that same function. And they're good people, but they're they're just not trained in, like, 
survival type situations and backing up your partner and stuff. You know, when you have two policemen, your training kicks in and you're on high alert and you have a 360 degree view because your partner's behind you, right? Yeah, and in this particular case, we have an arrest here. We have a charge of first-degree murder, Jong Wong Ham. Court records showing that he had been uh, had some assault charges in the past, and including uh, some run-ins with the police in February 2021, charged with assault and willfully resisting or obstructing a peace officer. When you have a situation like that, like one of the things that's not clear is. What this police, what Shaylin Yang knew uh, as she responded to this call, w- would there you typically be a, a threat assessment before a call like this? Like, if police officer knew, okay, we're dealing with a guy who has a record for resisting arrest, that that would be like, okay, you better have two police officers respond. Is that how it typically works? Oh, certainly. Yeah. yeah. If you know the person has a background of violence and stuff, you would send two policemen. Yeah. It, you know, I, I'm guessing, but it's just somebody in a tent. They probably didn't know who was there, right? Yeah. And, uh, and you don't know who you're dealing with again, right? I, I checked a, a homeless person in the bush by uh, Central Park and, uh, it turned out this guy had just got out of jail in Saskatchewan for murder. Right. And yeah. I'm like, Whoa, I'm sitting there by myself dealing with this guy in the middle of the bush in central park. So immediately I called for backup and stuff. And you know, he, he was no problem, but you just don't know who you're dealing with. Hey Doug, we're going to have a conversation now about going forward, especially after this event. When it comes to the crises we have on our streets, mental illness, especially untreated on the streets of Metro, we're already hearing calls for reopening, maybe a facility like Riverview. Do you think that should be part of the solution? Yeah, you know, Mayor Sim, I I really like what he's saying. He's going to get these people extra help, right? Um, Some of them just aren't for their own safety fit to be on the street. They need more uh, mental help and addiction treatment and stuff. So, you know, the the old revolving door thing, you're just throwing these people to the wolves, really, right? They're mentally ill, and you're putting them down in Skid Row and all these areas of Vancouver. They become victims, right? Get them help. That's what they need. You know, and if they don't seek the help when they go to jail, I've always been a big proponent of if if they don't get mental help and addiction treatment, don't kick them out in the street. Keep them in jail until they do, right? You're doing them no favors sending them back out there. Death of police officer Shaylin Yang with my guest, Doug Spencer, 30 years with the VPD. Lots of calls on the open line. Ash in Vancouver. Hi, Ash. Go ahead. Hi, and my condolences for the calling officer. It's a very sad day, but it seems like the justice system is failing us. They failed the citizens. They failed the police officers. 
the decisions that are being made in those courtrooms, people just shake their heads how are these decisions are being made in there. I mean, normal people wouldn't allow something like this to go on. Now, standing from outside looking at this, it's definitely not, but it seems like these uh, judges are looking at this as a, as a job security, that they don't want to do something about this, and they want this to be something ongoing. And, and it's horrendous, and we pay the price out there. Okay, th- thank you for the call. I mean, we've talked before, Doug, about chronic repeat offenders, and there's lots of calls for reform on that today as well. Your thoughts? Yeah, certainly the, the gentleman's right. Um, you know, they're getting direction. It sounds like from hearing the premier talk out here that they need direction from back east. What they're getting federally is release, 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 not keep them in jail. Well, you're turning some of these extremely volatile, violent, dangerous people back out on the street. How can that possibly make people safe? You know, it's not like a a first-timer. You know, you're innocent until proven guilty. I get that. But when you're getting arrested three, four, five times, the guy with the the bar, the pole that hit the young lady downtown, his conviction for violent offenses is atrocious. He would be doing 30 years in the States because he has proven he's a danger. Let's go back to the phone lines. Dev on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Dev. Go ahead. Uh, we're not allowed to call them uh, repeat offenders, okay? That offends these woke people. Uh, and perhaps we should change. We, we shouldn't be calling it jail anymore. We should call them extended vacation rehab facilities because then these woke people that don't like the term jail will allow us to uh, put these people there. And the last time I checked, if people are incarcerated, they're not getting drugs, they're cleaning up, they're getting three square meals a day, and there's more hope of them turning around in uh, that type of facility. But, gentlemen, the problem is we need to stop calling them jails. Then all these woke decision makers will be very happy to to let us put these uh, guests in there. Thank you. Thank you, Dev. Let's squeeze in as many calls as I can. Here we got a ton of them here. Karen and Langley. Hi, Karen. Go ahead. Hi. First of all, my condolences. Uh, it's just such a tragic, tragic yeah. uh, happening. And, you know, I hope that her death does not go in vain and that maybe now something will happen. I really feel for the police officers, they need to be supported in all freaking areas. Um, the judges, especially. We were robbed uh, less than weeks ago uh, in the middle of the day one o'clock with two people still on our property they managed to get a two crackhead women managed to get away with uh, my car full of my husband's tools my jewelry and you know it's the next day they were blocks away doing it again we've got pictures of them and you know i know if they were caught they'd be let out and we just we have to have to for this woman who gave her life for us, who gave her life for us. It's time. Let's get on it, people. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Paul in Port Moody. Hi, Paul. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Yeah, I'd like to say my condolences, too, as well. But I was very curious about one thing. She had a charge of first-degree murder, and I would think that first-degree murder means you would have to plan this whole event, and it was a random situation. How come they don't overcharge 
only if a police officer falls, but how come they don't overcharge when on other situations to get these guys locked up for good, like that guy that hit that young lady over the head? Why didn't they charge him with attempted murder? What? Okay, th- thank thank you for that. Well, there will be an investigation. We don't know all the evidence. A first-degree murder charge is obviously one of the most serious charges that can be laid in a situation like that. We don't know what evidence has been collected. Uh, the the person who's charged here survived being shot. And that's key as well. But this is a story, obviously, we'll continue to follow for you. Doug, thank you for coming on. And once again, my condolences to you and all members of law enforcement today. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Mike. All right. Welcome back. Crime top of mind here, especially after the tragic death of police officer Shailen Yang. You heard my conversation there with a 30-year VPD officer, Doug Spencer, getting choked up as he talked about the death of this young police officer. Meanwhile, we've got the continuing concerns over chronic repeat and prolific offenders catch-and-release justice system, single individuals racking up literally hundreds of police files only to be released over and over again. Let's discuss it all with my guest, Peter Millibar, Liberal, MLA, Kamloops North Thompson. Pleased to welcome him back. Peter, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Okay. There's still a lot of grieving going on with the the death of this young police officer, especially in, in law enforcement, but everyone in B.C. is shocked by this. We've got a first-degree murder charge in the case now. Still a lot of unanswered questions about it. What's going through your mind when you heard about this one? Well, it's just obviously tragic, and, and our thoughts go out to the family and the community and, and um, you know, and, and the, the broader policing community as well. And, and uh, it just highlights just how dangerous uh, things have begun, uh, become in our communities. And, uh, you know, and, and I think it's... Uh, you never want to say it was inevitable, but I think people were all on edge wondering when something was going to happen uh, that would be as tragic as this that might finally uh, get this government to start trying to take some serious action from, from their uh, catch and release program that uh, for five and a half years with David Eby just simply has created massive disorder on our streets. Well, let's talk about one of the other cases that's been in the news here in the last week or so. Mohammed Majidpour, the 35-year-old man who had been charged with hitting a young woman over the head with a pole in Vancouver, charged with assault, a random assault, according to the uh, police, arrested, released again, and then immediately reoffends. Like, within hours, he's... He's picked up for shoplifting over three hundred dollars worth of stuff after he was released. Your, your thoughts, your thoughts on that case, and what and what the province can do about it? I mean, isn't it largely federal jurisdiction? Well, uh, you know, we've been we've been uh, putting forward for for months now, well over six months, uh, things that the province can actually do. And, and yes, there are, there is federal legislation, and you have to uh, work within the confines of the criminal code, but. Um, the Attorney General can be issuing directives uh, on terms of uh, instructing the prosecution service to to be seeking stricter bail conditions and seeking um, incarceration while uh, while on trial um, or awaiting trial and things of that nature. Uh, they've just flat out refused, and and you know when. If, if there's no other way to look at it than, than people's track record. And, and when you have an incoming premier who was the attorney general 
um, for five and a half years. And his background is that as a radical activist that, that wrote the handbook on how to sue the police called for defunding the police, uh, called the prolific offender program that uh, the government is now trying to wrap themselves in, um, that it was too harsh and, and uh, police were being too aggressive with that type of a program. Um, you know, that's his track record. And he needs to answer for that when we see the, the complete spike of disorder on our streets comparative to every other province in Canada. Isn't it more to do with federal policy and federal law, especially with this direction to Crown and police to opt for a release of, of offenders rather than incarceration. I mean, that is right in, in the bill that was passed. That, that appears to be the biggest problem, is it not? Isn't that federal? Well, there, there is definitely a federal overlay to this. But as I say, there, yeah. is, there is directive and there is, uh, there's directives and there's direction uh, that the Attorney General uh, can be uh, doing right now uh, to put in place. There, we've, we've called for well over six months for them to have a, a dedicated uh, Crown Prosecutor for prolific offenders. Uh, they refuse to even take that step. Um, you know, the, the current Attorney General, with Bill C-75 federally, when he was an MP, yeah. uh, voted against it, but, uh, and that's the bill that's creating a lot of this problem, uh, but he didn't vote against it uh, for the reasons that he wants people to believe. He voted against it because he felt it was still too tough on the criminals. Um, it, it wasn't lenient enough uh, for prolific offenders. That's why he voted against it. That's why uh, other NDP MLAs that were MPs at the time voted against it. And so, you know, there's no wonder that the public has lost uh, faith, um, you know, in the incoming premier to, to properly deal uh, with things like crime and, and, and disorder on our streets. Peter Millibar is my guest, Liberal MLA. Speaking of the incoming Premier, David Eby, the decks have now been cleared for him. The only opponent he faced for the NDP leadership disqualified last night by the party executive, Anjalia Potterai. She is out. Some speculation, well, does she have any more cards to play? Could she go to court and try to sue the party? I don't think she'll get anywhere with that. I mean, this this is over. This is a done deal now. EB will be the next premier, likely moving up the timeline as well. So he could be sworn in as early as next month. Is that what you're anticipating? Well, I, I would anticipate that absolutely. Um, you know, it, the, as much as uh, the party has tried to uh, absolve uh, Mr. EB from from having any significant role to play. Um, in, in the ousting of Angelia Powderai, I mean, let's let's be clear. There's no doubt that he had his uh, his supporters uh, doing the heavy lifting in back rooms. Uh, you know, whoa, 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 whoa. Who, 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 are you, who are you who are you talking about there? Well, how, how do you strong arm 48 uh, ministers and and uh, backbenchers to support you, and then you you can't outsell a. Uh, um, uh, you know, a latecomer to a race, uh, and and uh, and make statements early on that you're frustrated that you have to wait, and then magically now the report comes out, and and lo and behold, uh, you're you're you got your wish, you're coronated. Uh, you know, they didn't investigate. My understanding is they didn't investigate similar letters that went out from from unions uh, asking for supporters to flat out. Uh, buy a membership uh, to support David Eby. Uh, you don't have to remain an NDP member. It says right in the letter, um, you know, uh, oh. they will have influence with with David Eby if they can get him elected leader. It says it right in the letters that have been publicly released, but those weren't investigated. So, 
I, huh. I think we have to take with a bit of a grain of salt uh, uh, just, you know, where everything landed with this. Uh, he is no doubt coming in uh, weakened. And, uh, but I think in the, in the here and the now, the public uh, want to know uh, what actions our new premier will be taking uh, to address crime because he has okay. been the attorney general for five and a half years and everything has gotten worse under his watch. Okay, well, the disqualification of Anjali Potterai, according to the report that was done for the NDP, was she had broken the rules in uh, while campaigning for the job. Notably, she's accused of coordinating with outside third-party groups. Notably, the uh, the Do- Dogwood BC par- uh, group, which is a major environmental lobby group in British Columbia. Let me play a clip here for you, Peter, from and former NDP cabinet minister, former NDP party president Mo Sahota here speaking to CBC saying like look she broke the rules and she's getting what she deserved here's what he had to say I'll get your thoughts what you can't do is you can't go to an outside environmental organization ask them to pay for members sign up people ask them to pause their membership in the, in, in, in the Green Party and try to sort of take over the NDP to go further in terms of a more um, uh, extreme uh, climate change plan. Mosa Hoda, Peter Milibar, your thoughts? Well, and, and perhaps it's just that the NDP hasn't had a leadership race for so long because uh, uh, Premier Horgan was anointed as well. But um, leadership races are actually about uh, getting stakeholder groups to to support your vision for a party to to try to sell memberships. Uh, David Eby had a caucus of 48 elected officials that should have been out selling memberships. Uh, apparently yeah. the public wasn't buying what they were trying to sell, which was a membership to support David Eby. Um, you well, know, maybe but, he didn't, maybe he thought he didn't need to sell many memberships. This thing was just going to be a slam dunk cakewalk. Well, then, then that just says that they're lazy and, and arrogant and, and don't want to put in any actual effort to yeah. to uh, sit in the premier's office. I mean, we had a leadership race where we had five or six people in it uh, to be yeah. leader of an opposition. This is to be the premier of British Columbia, and the NDP doesn't even want to discuss public policy in the direction the new premier wants to take the province in. I mean, it's ridiculous in the extreme. Uh, you know, he, he the only thing he talked about was housing, which he was the former minister of. Uh, he hasn't released what his thoughts are on health care, which is a massive challenge for us. Uh, he hasn't released his thoughts on, on all of this crime that's happening, even though he was the attorney general for five and a half years. Um, he, we don't know where he stands on environmental issues. We don't know where he stands on anything other than files that he's uh, frankly made a bit of a disaster of over the last five and a half years. So it's not really good for public uh, uh, process. It, it certainly isn't democratic. And, uh, you know, I guess the, the day of reckoning will come hopefully with the electorate. They're the party that allowed their membership to dwindle uh, to 11,000 uh, members while in government. I mean, I think our membership's up in the, what, 60, 65,000 range. So uh, um, they they have created this mess, um, and they had to desperately try to find some way to get out of it. And, and I think anyone um, that puts any type of a critical eye on, on, on how this is all unfolded would, would see that. Thank you for coming on. Great. Thank you. Anytime. All right, here we go now with the long-running battle over the Stanley Park bike lane. We've covered this closely on the show in the past. The decision by the previous park board to restrict vehicle access into the park. The bike lane was fought by small business operators in the park. 
and especially opposed by leaders in the disability community who argued the restricted access discriminated against people who need a vehicle to access the park, who can't ride a bike into Stanley Park. Well, now you've got a new park board in charge after the recent elections, the ABC slate of candidates in control now, and they're going in a new direction here. Let's discuss now with my guest, Kareem Alam. He was the campaign director for ABC. He's now the transition co-chair at the new park board. Kareem, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, Kareem. First of all, let's talk about the the status quo in the park at the moment. Can you can you just briefly describe like what is this what is the situation in the park right now with the bike lane and and the and the vehicle access in the park right now? Um, it's exactly as you described it um, uh, on previous uh, previous shows uh, during COVID. The park board or the previous park board, I should say, made a decision to put in a temporary bike lane, which severely restricted access to Stanley Park. And as you said in your introduction, to the detriment of small business, as well as to the detriment of people in the disability community, uh, we've heard their concerns loud and clear, and we've committed uh, right away uh, that we will be immediately shutting down uh, the temporary bike lane, reopening the park to its original vehicle traffic route. Um, and then in the longer term, uh, put together a, plan, an engineered plan for a permanent bike lane that doesn't take away vehicle access. Okay, so the bike lane would be shut down immediately. So is the bike lane still operating now? Like, when would it be shut down? Yes. It would be shut down uh, very quickly. I think uh, a motion will be filed uh, by our park board commissioners in either their first or second uh, park board meeting, and then it would just be a process of uh, how fast uh, staff and, and uh the different engineering and transportation departments can go back to uh, removing those uh, obstacles uh, uh, that impair vehicle traffic at the moment. Okay, so not wasting any time on this. Why is this such a high priority for the new park board right now? It's because we ran a campaign at all three levels of our slate uh, to make Vancouver the most accessible city in the world. Uh, We are going to be a party that is going to be extremely responsive uh, to seniors, and we're going to be a party that's going to be extremely responsive to uh, the disabled community as well. And we've heard loud and clear uh, that this is a park that should be a park for everybody, and right now it's not, and that needs to change. Right. How big of an issue was this in the recent campaign? I mean, you guys won big here all across the board here, city council, park board, school board. At the park board level, how big an issue would you say was the Stanley Park bike lane issue? It was a significant issue, but for, I think, the the purpose of the campaign, it was just more symbolic of how sometimes the city and the park would make decisions without consultation. Um, I think the thing that troubled uh, a lot of people at the doorstep was when you'd go knock on the door, you'd hear about a temporary bike lane, um, and then two years later, it's still there, uh, making people feel that it actually really wasn't meant to be temporary. But on the flip side of this issue, too, we did engage with the cycling community, um, and we did see a lot of demand. Uh, this is not a commuter commuter bike lane. This is a recreational bike lane. It was very well used. So it does warrant that some point uh, in the immediate future uh, that we start to pull together a study to reintroduce a recreational bike lane. But it has to ensure that we're not cutting off vehicle traffic uh, to those neighborhoods. Okay, so the commitment would be to go back to the full vehicle access, the two, la- two vehicle lanes into the, in and out of the park. Is that right? That's right. 
Yeah. Okay. But and but you also want to get a bike lane in there too. How do you do that? Well, that would be a study that staff would have to uh, uh, conduct. Uh, we think uh, that for about sixty to seventy percent of the route, uh, you could actually uh, accommodate a segregated engineered solution. Uh, the complicated part will be that thirty percent where parts of the roadway narrows. But we've got some of the best engineers in the world, and I'm sure they'll uh, be able to come up with uh, a solution that doesn't require us to cut down any trees. Speaking to Kareem Alam, campaign director at the ABC slate of candidates in the recent municipal election, they're now in charge of the, the park board, city council, school board. Yeah, they, they ran the board here in that election, talking about the Stanley Park bike lane. Kareem, Let's talk a little bit about some of the controversy around the bike lane. Like, first of all, like small business. And we talked to a lot of small business operators in the park over the last couple of years who said that the bike lane really impacted their business. What, what did you hear? What did you hear from the sort of direct stakeholders here? Let's talk about the business operators in the park. What did they tell you guys? Yeah, it was business operators, but also other, uh, other uh, amenities around the park that were really frustrated uh, with their inability to, to get a point across uh, either through City Hall or through the park board that they were suffering. So you have the first challenge, which is COVID, and we all know how that impacted businesses. But then you have the second challenge of people couldn't access those business businesses. As a side note, uh, uh, I've been a member of the Vancouver Rowing Club, and uh, it was a real, real, real uh, pain to be able to access that uh, facility, which is right there on the edge of Stanley Park. Um, but the other things that were happening, too, it wasn't just the small businesses in Stanley Park. It was the small businesses in the West End that were also complaining because of the, the congestion that was backing up was preventing people from getting to restaurants or getting to the other small business services that were there in the West End. But the other thing, too, is the residents were also starting to get upset because when you had that gridlock and congestion, all that was happening is you had cars idling in the West End, blowing up, uh, blowing up smoke into the atmosphere and impacting the impacting the uh, noise levels as well as the air quality levels in the neighborhood. Yeah, and would you say that that is, is counter to the original justification for the restricted vehicle access in the bike lane? Like, a lot of it was justified as a, as a climate change measure. In addition to being a temporary COVID measure, there were also arguments from the previous uh, park board that, look, we we're in a climate change emergency, so that's why we want to restrict vehicle access. But I mean, but if you've got congestion and a lot of vehicle exhaust just belching into the air, how is that good for the climate? I mean, is that something you guys considered? Yeah, absolutely. And you hit the, hit the nail right on the head. Uh, this wasn't good for the climate. But when we talked to the cycling community, they made it loud and clear to us that this is not a commuter route. Uh, the bike lanes that uh, were going through Stanley Park weren't displacing vehicle traffic. It was a recreational route. And that's, how it, that's primarily how it's been used. So it wasn't a bike lane that was actually taking cars off the road. It was a bike lane that was actually just adding to idling times. So I don't buy that argument. Uh, I don't think our team bought that argument. Um, and uh, we will be moving very swiftly on this because it's just common sense. Okay, speaking of the cycling community, you mentioned that the plan going forward would be to immediately shut down the existing bike lane, but transition to a permanent, like I guess a permanent commuter bike lane that would not take up vehicle, not displace vehicle traffic, right? So is that going to, like you mentioned that you consulted with cyclists. Are they going to be happy with that, or are we just going to be in another big fight over this? Um, 
No, I think I, I think I think I think they will be happy with that. Like we do acknowledge that it was a very well used bike lane, particularly in the summer months. Uh, it was great for tourism. It was uh, great for just people getting around. Um, and the types of people that were using those bike lanes were moms, dads, uh, uh, families. Uh, so it really did sort of enhance the experience of the park. So we do want to acknowledge the fact that, you know, it was well used in those, in those summer months. Um, so now let's get to an engineered solution that's meant to be pur- uh, purposeful and deliberate, um, uh, that consults local community, that consults the local businesses, um, and uh, really, really acknowledge the fact that this is actually an enhancement to the park if we can build a permanent bike lane that doesn't take away from vehicle traffic. Okay, we're watching it closely. Kareem, thanks for coming on to talk about it today. Thanks a lot, Mike. All right, let's talk about Vancouver Mayor-elect Ken Sim now. One of his key campaign promises to hire 100 new mental health nurses to work with police. He's promised to hire 100 new police officers, too. And they would work together. So mental health nurses working directly with police on mental health calls. Ken Sim will be sworn in as the new mayor of Vancouver next month. He won big in the election. Now, how will he deliver on these promises? This is easier said than done. There's already a shortage of nurses. Sim was asked about this at his first news conference this week. Where will he find all these mental health nurses and police officers? Have a listen to what he had to say here. What we'll do is we'll provide the funding and the resources. You know, th- those are details that we will leave uh, to the, you know, um, the, the city of Vancouver and the Vancouver De- Police Department. Okay, well, it'll be up to them to, I guess, other people to figure it out. He was pressed for more details on that. And who would hire these nurses? I mean, the local health authorities? Would the city directly hire these nurses? How is this going to work? Have a listen to what he said. Technically, you know, I'm not too sure, but the, the, the point is the substance of it is they are working together. Sorry, I, I'm a chartered accountant, so I get actually, when you're asking me that question, I'm getting really technical. Like, uh, are they hired by this legal entity or that legal entity? Yeah, not too uh, reassuring there on how this is all going to unfold. All right, let's discuss it now with my guest, Christina Gower. Christina is a registered psychiatric nurse. She works in the Lower Mainland. Very pleased to welcome Christina to the show. Hi, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thank you for being here. Can you tell me a little bit about your work? Um, well, I've, uh, I've been doing this work uh, for about 12 years, um, and uh, I work uh, mainly in either high acuity or the emergency room. Um, but but my full-time position is uh, is going to be in the emergency room again. I took a hiatus for a bit, and I'm just starting there again. So what I do is, uh, I work as a psych liaison nurse, and um, basically I, I attend to um, patients with mental health concerns uh, first. So I see them before any doctor does, and um, I will uh, relay uh, information to the physicians and make some recommendations and start treatment um, because sometimes we need to do that immediately before the doctor has time to come. So right, that is right. uh, a nutshell. And then, and then of course, uh, beyond that, that's, that's initially, and then I need to be, make sure... Um, I make people aware of resources and follow up and and uh, disposition whether they get admitted or transferred or um, or discharged. Right. Well, this is crucially important work you're doing there, and uh, we certainly need more resources. It, it would appear. Let me ask you, Christina, your thoughts on Ken Sims' plan here 
to hire 100 mental health nurses here to work with police. What do you think of that? Because there's a shortage of nurses right now, right? There's a, a huge shortage. We've been screaming to the, the rafters here for quite a while about um, our shortage. We, we think we're about 25% short right now. Um, and, of course, the, um, the demands are increasing with uh, what you know, is the breakdown of our social safety nets, as far as I'm concerned. So uh, it's, a, it's a complex problem. And, and um, I congratulate uh, Ken Sim for um, making uh, the suggestion of this kind of um, uh, contribution uh, because it's not uh, inexpensive, um, but it yeah. certainly begs to question what the utility would be when we simply would be. <laughs> what would we be doing? We'd be we'd be out with police. Um, we'd have to deal with a limited population. Truly, we couldn't be uh, necessarily useful in a situation where somebody is intoxicated or violent um, as much. Uh, you know, except to maybe accompany them to the hospital. Um, but we're much more useful at the hospital uh, because we're treating people there. So I, I don't know um, how he sees that playing out uh, whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, this will yeah. be uh, expensive for sure. Now, he has said that he feels that he can find the resources to pay for these these new professionals in the in the existing budget. I mean that that is going to be a a difficult trick to pull off as well. But the mm-hmm. questions, I guess, are being asked are like how how is he going to do this? Like, it didn't even seem to be that clear about who precisely would hire these mental health nurses, who they would report to. Let me play another clip here for you, Christina, get your thoughts. So here's here's Ken Sim, the new the incoming mayor, speaking earlier this week about how this plan is going to work. A hundred new mental health nurses to work with a hundred new police officers. Who's going to do this? How's it going to work? Here's what he said. These plans have been fleshed uh, or um, uh, well thought out, um, and it's coming from conversations that we've had throughout the city, not just with residents, but with Vancouver Police Department, with health uh, health providers, um, with nurses. We've actually pulled a bunch of nurses, so we feel incredibly confident that we will be able to make significant headway. Okay, Ken Sam, speaking earlier this week, said the plan has been well thought out. I don't know. A lot of missing pieces there. Like, what questions do you think are unanswered here, Christina, would you say? Uh, Well, I mean, I'm really surprised to even hear him say that he's pulled nurses because I'm I'm very heavily involved in very large groups of nurses within the province. And uh, anything political seems to come my way. Um, But uh, that being said, we'll take his word for it. My my question is... um, uh, I mean, you know, if he's thinking about like our car 87, uh, you know, it's a valuable resource that, you know, but it's quite limited. To, like I mentioned earlier to what it can do because you can't engage people that are um, in, in an altered state of consciousness under the influence of drugs and alcohol. And, uh, you know, that that is a, a very big safety concern. I want to send out my heartfelt condolences to the BC um, or the Burnaby RCMP and the family of uh, Constable Yang and her friends and colleagues. Um, That is one example of the dangers that are faced by police. And we are unfortunately utilizing police a lot more. This is true um, in healthcare, And and, and that is in general philosophically a no-no because uh, it decreases the therapeutic environment. It doesn't allow for the trust and rapport to be built between the healthcare provider and patient uh, because of the amount of control that um, police provide in a situation. Now, we unfortunately need the control now because there is a pervasive, um, uh, mostly crystal meth problem that is causing a lot of the violence. Um, and uh, and um, 
desperate situations, right? But and we have to constantly call police to the hospital. But bringing um, police and nursing, you know, you cannot you cannot um, solve mental illness with police. You can't solve um, uh, the problems that we're seeing in downtown East Side, especially, or in you know the Central Surrey, and now actually everywhere like Maple Ridge. You know, wherever, like we're, we're seeing, I work in a trauma hospital that we see people from all over the place uh, every single day from stranger assaults. So, so it's, um, it's quite uh, scary now. Um, I never used yeah. to feel afraid in, in, in this city. I grew up here uh, 50 years now and, and I never, uh, now I would think twice about doing things um, because of what I, I see every day. So, so, I mean, there's, there's a, a need, but it, I'm not sure this is the need. I think that the need is the social safety nets. And I think we need Riverview. I think we need a, a, mm. um, a, a campus for, for um, healthcare there. And I, I think that uh, it needs to be an expansion, not, not tearing one down and building another up. Um, and uh, we need to provide resources and a fulsome resource that goes from one end of the spectrum to the other, where you're, you know, you're you're intaking people, helping them detox, and and then you know doing the acute portion of care, and you transcend that through and make sure you know it's holistic and the physical wellness is taken care of. That people have no teeth because of drug use. They, you know, they have a lot of injuries, and then there's uh, emotional and psychological trauma that just snowballs when you're when you're on the streets and there's a lot of brain injuries right. that happen and assaults, all those things need to be dealt with. And then you see what, you know, how you can work with people after that, when you get them to the optimal health and, and go from there. And, you know, from there you need to decide uh, transitioning into the back into the community and how to make that work and, and ongoing support. So, so okay. that's what we would ask for. All right. Keep talking about the crisis of mental illness on our streets. The plan by incoming Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim to hire 100 new mental health nurses to work alongside police. Questions now being asked where he can find these nurses. Of course, earlier this week, we had the tragic death of a police officer who was uh, responding to a call about a man camping in a park. These issues top of mind. My guest, Christina Gower. Christina is a registered psychiatric nurse. Christina, it's really awesome to talk to someone on the front lines here and you know, you mentioned earlier crystal meth. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, it seems to me, we hear a lot about fentanyl and all the problems with fentanyl, but I don't know, it seems to me like crystal meth is one of the the big problems we have it's, right it's, now. This is this is the undisclosed crisis um, that's happening, and, and uh, I have, of course, I've been approaching everybody I can, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't see any... Um, uh, well, I don't see much action regarding its use. So over the past 10 years or so, I've noticed um, the increase. And it started out, uh, I think it really spiked with um, oil field workers um, in Alberta. I think there was a lot of, ex- of exposure there on downtime for people that were not um, traveling back home to see family members. Um, I think it's really cheap to manufacture and accessible. So um, it, it started to make its way into you know a population that way from what I could see. Now, the, the drug is uh, something that um, changes the structure of your brain. It, it uh, creates yeah. a situation where you um, are constantly in a fight-or-flight mode, and, and it's usually, um, uh, well, we're seeing a lot of fight right now, so people hear uh, intense uh, auditory hallucinations um, where they think they're coming from the closest person they're walking by, and, and uh you know, they're feeling threatened or they're even having command hallucinations to, you know, do something, you know, and then sometimes it can be very destructive. So um, it's, a, it's a world uh, that the, our sickest um, people are acting out on in a way that is actually 
um, detrimental and, and actually spilling over into the general population and harming people and traumatizing uh, innocent people walking by. So yeah. it's, a, it's a tough spot to be in. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that it hasn't received the attention that it should um, because I guess, you know, with fentanyl, you have people actually dying and uh, it, crystal meth doesn't have as many overdoses um, that cause uh, that to happen, although it does um, have them. But, but uh, now maybe we can bring some attention to the issue. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I look at the resources that um, Mayor Sims would like to throw at this. And, you know, I, like, I don't know if he realizes, but he's talking about $25 million a year, like uh, plus probably some um, supplies like the, you know, police cruisers and you know, whatever else is employed in this. And that's a lot of money. Um, you know, he says he does accounting, so hopefully he knows that. But, um, you know, what if what if we did apply that to um, redirecting or even taking current funding for police and, and redirecting some of that into um, making sure we go after uh, people that make crystal mass and, and supply it? And, uh, you know, even I had a, actually it was a patient one time um, that worked at the ports and he tells me that and he was a foreman that only one in 100 um, shipping containers are searched there and uh, wow. that there's all kinds of stuff going through those ports too. So, you know, there, there's a lot of ways that uh, we could be using resources and, and, um, and, and I just don't understand how this, this yeah. plan would do Chris, that best. Crystal meth is, is a really brutal and causing a lot of trouble. And, and I agree with you. I think it's, it's getting, we're starting to understand it more, just how much damage that particular drug is doing. You also touched earlier on the Vancouver Police Department's CAR 87 program, mm-hmm. and it sounds like one of the things that Ken Sim is talking about here, the new mayor, is basically expanding this. So this is where uh, a mental health nurse would do basically be paired with a police officer, ride along with a police officer to some of these mental health calls. If there's yeah. maybe there's no risk of a of violence or no crime in, pro- in progress, so you'd have a nurse ride along. Like, do you think that program is working well now, and it should be expanded? I mean, it, 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 I'm sure that the people that we should be talking to are the nurses and police officers involved in that program. To be honest, but um, yeah. through my my interact, because I, when I I used to work in the ER department, um, uh, actually in Surrey. So um, when I they have a car 67 there, same same thing. Um, so in, in talking with them, definitely like there's some uh, there is a, a place for that kind of partnership. Um, it, and it, it's more about preventing people from coming to hospital, to be honest. It's, uh, you know, we've been full for a long time. And uh, and sometimes you just need, you know, people are a bit lost. They haven't showed up for their we, we give them long acting injections for antipsychotics. So, you know, maybe they just haven't realized they've missed an appointment. So it's great for that. You can, you know, the nurse can carry medication, find the person. Um, in, in fact, in the downtown east side, there's the ACT team. They do just that. I did some work with them before and they walk around and they find people that haven't showed up and it's time for their injection and they take it right wherever they are. And uh, so those kinds of things are great. And there's also, um, you know, it, it's, it's the cars are used to help de-escalate some situations, provide crisis intervention and, um, you know, also connect people to services and support. So but but that's only, like I said, when people can engage. So so surely there is an increased need, um, you know, since the program was developed, I, just like there is with everything right now in healthcare. Uh, so I'm sure that there's some space for that, but not 100 pairs um, of uh police and um and uh nurses i I just don't 
think that is going to help because what, what, you know, what the issue is, is we know what the issue is. You know, there's a lot of violence and a lot of inhumane conditions um, and uh, displaced people. So how do that, that doesn't solve that. You know, it doesn't provide okay. um, any future there for that. Okay. We're going to follow this closely and see how this unfolds as the new mayor is after he's sworn in next month. And we'll, we'll see if these promises are delivered on and how they will work. Christina, thank you for the great work you're doing there on the front lines of our, our system. And thanks for coming on today. No, no problem. It's my pleasure. Okay.